Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Millennial Catholic. I'm your host, Andrew Miller, and with me this week is Father Larry. Hello, Father Larry. Hey, everybody. Um, so we are still not in quarantine yet, but who knows by the time this episode actually comes out if we're going to be stuck in quarantine. So we had pre-planned to talk about this topic about a month ago, and now it seems more important now to talk about it, not only because it is Lent, but also because of what's going on in the world. We had planned to talk about death and what the Bible says about death and how death can bring new life, especially with the resurrection at the end of Easter. But now with this virus going on that has caused so much death, I think it's just a little bit more important that we talk about it and try to understand more of what the Bible talks about death and our belief in the resurrection and the judgment of souls and how we as Catholics have faith that our soul will go somewhere either to be purgated in in purgatory or at the ultimate feast in heaven. So why did you specifically want to talk about this topic a month ago compared to now? (laughs) I like it because it uh, it's it's like reality therapy is a expression I like to use a lot. Uh, just trying to get as high up the mountain as I can and get the clearest view of the whole horizon and the whole vision of reality and uh, my place in it. And so I'm always thinking that way and death has a way of snapping us out of the workaday world of distraction and just uh, getting us to um, face the fundamental human questions so it's kind of when we um, get anxious or angry or anything in our life it's like Um, all we got to do is think about our death and it just kind of puts everything. It's like taking an airplane ride, getting up in the upper hemispheres and surveying the whole thing. It just kind of puts everything into context in a marvelous way in an instant with a mere thought, just glancing at that reality of our death. So I think it's extremely beneficial and necessary for a healthy spiritual life. So how would you recommend somebody examining their life, even the, even the part they don't want to talk about, which is death? You know, you talk about getting the overall view, and in order to see the overall view, you need to see the beginning and the end. But nobody ever likes to think about the end. I don't agree with that. Some people do. I personally do. I think about it every single day. Um, so... I remember I was in uh, Austria for a semester and I studied abroad in a Carthusian monastery built in the 14th century. And they were doing a restoration while I was there and the Cartauza was like the cafeteria where we ate our meals. And there was a amazing um, fresco over the entrance and it was a depiction of death. Uh, and it said memento moria uh, remember your death and then we were told that that's how the Carthusian monks who were in silence and and, um, solitude most of the time they all had their little huts and these monks when they did 
pass each other going about their daily business. They would typically greet one another. Memento moria frater. Remember your death, brother. Um, that is counterintuitive to the world, which sees it as the great evil and something to be feared. And we don't believe in it. Sigmund Freud said he, at the bottom, we really don't believe in our own death. No one really believes in their own death. Um, that's just not being honest. And it's not being authentic. Uh, to be a truly authentic human being, we have to face uh, our mortality on a regular basis. So I submit to you, or I propose, that we all ought to start greeting one another. Memento moria. Get up in the morning, get your box of cereal, grab the gallon of milk, and say, Memento moria mater, or pater, uh, to your mother and father, and give your husband a peck on the cheek before, you know, when y'all are splitting up in the morning and just say, Memento moria, honey. Um, sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, when I think of it, Anytime I'm in touch with reality, uh, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel grounded and solid. Um, and that's the way I like to feel. So the thought of death helps keep me grounded in reality. And to me, that gives me joy. So count, counterintuitive to worldly thinking about death. Uh, when I think about death, it... Um, it consoles me. Um, How so? Well, meaning is something we're all looking for, mm -hmm. meaning and purpose. So that can get lost. Back to those fundamental human questions. Why am I here? What's the meaning of my life? Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What am I supposed to be doing in the meantime? We lose that larger picture in the attainment of... Um, our little finite goals down here on earth we get consumed like the parable of the sower and the seed these thoughts get choked out by the cares and worries of this world and it's it's um that is not the picture of a human being fully alive uh, a human being fully alive is one who is um Authentic and a true Homo sapien, um, sapiens, wisdom, uh, to be wise, and all the philosophers and in the whole history of the human race are uh, always dealing with this question of death. Uh, so I don't know if I answered your question. You did. You like to go off on your tangents, and it's fine. This time you actually answered the question. So what about after death? Is that part of, the, is that part of how you can you know, see your death and see it, you, the more complete view? Is, the, is the, the faith that we have that there is the afterlife, that there is a heaven, there is a purgatory if we need it, and unfortunately there is a hell if we're terrible enough to be there? Absolutely. I mean, that's... 
all of that floods my brain with the thought of death. So it's not just death, like I'm obsessed with just the act of dying alone. To me, it's the thought of death uh, brings into my consciousness the whole picture. The whole of our Catholic faith just comes to the fore with the thought of death. It's like a cattle prod, you know? It's just an electric shock through my system that jolts me back to reality, which I believe is my Catholic faith. It's the fullest picture of what truly is the case, the true state of affairs. Um, Yeah, that's why I like to think of our Catholic faith is the faith that's according to the whole, the kata holocaust in Greek uh, literally means according to the whole. So the whole picture of reality, as best we can see it right now, has been revealed to us. And we can just kind of, it gets fuzzy and lost in our everyday life. We get absorbed, super absorbed by everything that happens in our life, distracted from the big picture so I'm just trying to be kata holocaust and to live according to the whole and um, death helps me to uh, maintain that what does the bible talk about when it comes to death other than the death and resurrection and the eternal hope yeah I mean there's a lot of good stuff in the old testament people disparage the old testament but it's um it's already there uh a belief in the afterlife and in a resurrection of our physical existence so uh we can look at a number of examples of that if we want to start with the old testament uh we can look at the book of wisdom i swear it's like the most common reading choice of readings for the first reading at funerals everybody loves wisdom chapter three we've all heard it a million times the souls of the righteous are in the hand of god no torment shall touch them in the eyes of the foolish they seem to have died and their departure was thought to be an affliction and they're going from us to be their destruction but they are at peace For though in the sight of men they were punished, their hope is full of immortality. Um, So we're disciplined down here a little bit and tested. Uh, But those of us who are disciplined, as God disciplines us like a father disciplines his son, we will receive a great good. Um, What else is good here? Got to turn to the great prophet of the Old Testament, Isaiah. And he has some amazing things to say here. How about Isaiah chapter 25? He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 25, 8. And how about Isaiah 26, 19? This is amazing. This is a unequivocal explicit reference to the resurrection eight centuries before christ thy dead shall live their bodies shall rise O dwellers in the dust awake and sing for joy for thy dew is a dew of light and on the land of the shades thou wilt let it fall of course we got 
amazing passage in Ezekiel chapter 37 when he's called to preach over the valley of bones. And <clears throat> skipping to the highlights here, behold, God says, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you home into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. Lastly, Daniel chapter 12, Michael the archangel is described here. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Anyway, clear references to the resurrection of the body in the Old Testament to just name some of the most noteworthy so that's the Old Testament you want to move on to the new I mean that's kind of amazing just I, for people who don't remember or don't know Father Larry is doing a Old Testament book by book um, run through on his YouTube channel. Um, and of course, you've been on Ezekiel forever. That's just because he read... 50, Isaiah. Isaiah, my bad. Um, that's because he wrote 52 chapters. Um, 66, that's okay. See, I don't... This is... I don't pay attention. <laughs> this is this is why you're here, is to, is to correct me. And it's just... When you kind of grow up, you don't really realize how important the... Old Testament really is to the New Testament and there's this thought out there for some Catholics of why do we care about the Old Testament when we're a New Testament church but I think just those specific experts, excerpts of those books prove how important the Old Testament is because not only do they talk about the resurrection of the body it also predicts and references the resurrection of Jesus himself. Kind of, sort of. I mean, yes. Uh, you have to kind of tease that out a little bit. I mean, our Lord's always talking about the sign of Jonah. It's like the sign. When they ask for a sign, he's always like, look, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. And um, I like the interpretation of... Um, Dr. Brant Petrie on this, I think is a brilliant insight. Uh, when our Lord says that, what he's really referring to is the fact that Jonah was resuscitated, okay? And he was dead, folks. He was dead, dead, dead. I'm telling you, he wasn't hunkered down in the belly of that whale. He was dead as fried chicken in there. All right, he was deadest dead array. Uh, he was dead, and here's um, the prayer of 
Jonah from the belly of the whale uh, is from Sheol. Uh, he's praying out of the belly of Sheol. That's the land of shades. That is Hades. That, for the Jews, is the land of the dead. Okay, and that's where he is. And there are other Hebraic expressions for death in chapter 2 in this prayer of Jonah. He is in the pit, in the land where the bars have closed upon him forever. Okay, he went down to the land whose bars closed upon him forever. The pit. And his soul fainted within him. He is dead. Okay, this is a corpse we're talking about here that is then spewed out onto this beach, vomited out when the Lord spoke to the fish. And then what are the first words of God to Jonah? Kum. That's a powerful word. Kum. What's it mean? It means arise. It's translated arise and go to Nineveh. All right, so... It's the same word our Lord uses when he, in Hebrew that he uh, speaks over the little girl, Jairus' daughter, when he says, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, kum, arise. All right, our Lord is going to arise. Our Lord is going to arise. This story of Jonah here is a kind of a, a broad overview of salvation history is that God called Israel to be his firstborn son, to have this mediatorial priestly role and to bring his law, knowledge of him to the nations, to bring about this worldwide family reunion. It was always meant to, um, to do so. It had this outreach aspect to it, going all the way back to Genesis 12 when God called Abram. He said, I'm going to bring about a worldwide blessing through you. Okay. So that was their mission given by God. And they didn't fulfill their mission. And Jonah's refusal to obey mm -hmm. and go to Nineveh, the first time the word of the Lord came to him, ended in his death. But then God says, arise and sends him again the second time, and then he goes. And that really is a symbol of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And our Lord is, is what's being prophetically foretold here, that his ministry, his mission to the Gentiles uh, after his three days in the tomb and his resurrection, when he arises from that tomb... He is going to bring about this worldwide repentance, this evangelization of the nations. So there we see the new covenant uh, kind of foreshadowed in uh, the prophet Jonah. That's why our Lord says it so many times. All the synoptic gospels, a couple times in Matthew, references to uh, the sign of Jonah. That's the only really way he refers to his resurrection when he appeals to his resurrection there's different things you can look at in the old testament uh but what is what does our lord turn to he always turns to that and in john's gospel i mean you know he says look you're going to destroy this temple i could you know uh, destroy this temple and in three days i will raise it up again uh, at the wedding feast of canaan john chapter 2 uh, he was speaking about his body 
of course, they didn't understand that till later when they received the Holy Spirit and they recalled his words that uh, when he was raised from the, from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Okay, so again, a reference to our Lord's resurrection. And then he's going to send them to the ends of the earth okay, to uh, bring about this worldwide evangelization. So yeah, death of the um, the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ is clearly foreshadowed there in a powerful way in the prophet of Jonah, prophet Jonah, the story of Jonah um, is pretty important, pretty relevant, given that our Lord refers to it so much. I mean, it just isn't the whale story. <laughs> He's not hunkered down in a whale. As as misconception is, as you see in children's books little kids books he's like hunkered in there so, so. Uh, I don't know if, if if God told me to do something and I decided to go the complete opposite way and then I died and called me back I think I'd do the same thing I think I'd completely follow at that point yep at least I'd hope I would think I would do that we kind of touched on it a little bit with the New Testament pulling back into the Old Testament about death there's a lot of foreshadowing of the passion in the New Testament, though. He, he talks about it a, a lot. But the one thing that always kind of is interesting to me is even Jesus didn't want to die. He talks in the, in the, in the Mount of Olives. He, he asks God to take the cup away. But then he goes right back and says, but thy will be done. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting in terms of like what he had always preached about my time will come you're gonna you know there will be a day that i'm no longer with you and that day is coming to an hour uh, an hour hour and a half before judas comes with uh essentially the high priest's guard he doesn't want to die right i mean i think the best answer to this explanation for our Lord's attitude is in Hebrews um, this is powerful I mean he we're not masochists you know mm-hmm. I mean we're not saying death is a pleasant experience it's not uh, but we endure it uh, for the sake of the joy that is set before us and Jesus we looked at Jesus Hebrews 12 2 Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God so yeah when we contemplate death like so many are doing now as a result of this coronavirus I heard the latest count is like 20 priests have died in Italy yeah uh look uh it makes me think about it. I could have the dang thing right now, and I don't even know it. Thanks. I could be uh, dead as fried chicken next week. I don't know. Uh, two weeks from now, it could be game over for me. But look, that that definitely is a moment of faith, a crisis of faith in a certain sense, a moment of um, a wily coyote moment in a certain sense, you know, where we feel, oh my gosh, I can't touch bottom anymore when you're confronted with the mystery of our own death. And it is, it's a mystery. 
So what do we do when that uh, hits us? We look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He didn't like it. He wanted that cup to pass from him. I mean, that's just, that's just human. And he despised the shame of the whole thing. Uh, we don't like it, uh, but we do it for the sake of the joy that is set before us. Uh, that's the second thought that enters our mind when the first thought enters of our own death, our own demise. We immediately think of the joy set before us, which, <laughs> I mean, the saints, so many saints, like, I don't know, St. Teresa of Avila said, it's like all the sufferings of this life compared to the joy of eternity is like, one night in a cheap motel, you know, some flea-bitten, scratchy sheet, smoke-smelling, air conditioner ain't working, pillows at the wrong angle, nasty night in a motel. That's what she likens the sufferings of this world to. So um, we got to face it down with, uh, with that eternal, supernatural attitude. What about the afterlife, though? Where we are, you know, obviously our hope is to get to heaven, but where do we see the afterlife in the scripture? Our Lord wants us to think about it. It's pretty important right. to him. So he's constantly sending us that cattle prod to jolt us out of this state of denial. Uh, inauthenticity uh, fundamentally dishonest with ourselves when we ignore this uh, mystery of death uh, we're foolish hence there's so many parables uh, that our Lord uses employs to try to jolt us awake um, stay awake and be like a servant waiting their master's return whenever he comes you're ready we got to be watchful, he says repeatedly. But think of the parables like the wise and the foolish uh, maidens, wise and foolish bridesmaids, okay? That's a wake-up call. Uh, the five foolish didn't have oil for their lamps, and they're on the outside looking in. Uh, shuts the door and leaves them in the dark, standing out there, I do not know you. I mean, woo. how about the uh, Luke's gospel? The guy who wanted to build all these barns, bigger barns, and he had all these great plans for what he was going to do, and the Lord's like, you fool. This night your life will be required of you. And who's going to get all this stuff? All right. Um, obviously the sheep and the goats. How about Lazarus? Lazarus and the rich man, that parable. I mean, all these things are, are really powerful um, ways to wake us up. What, in your opinion, is the most powerful? Uh, gosh. Uh, I guess the, uh, or if you're going to pin me down, <laughs> I'm going to say this is, talk about a jolt. This jolts me awake in Luke's gospel in his eschatological discourse um, our Lord talking about the end times and he says 
pray that you may have the strength to stand before the Son of Man. Chapter 21, verse 36. Be watchful at all times, praying that you may have the strength to stand before the Son of Man. If that doesn't send a shock down our spine, what will uh, the thought of standing before Jesus and giving an account for our life. Our whole life is preparation for that defining moment. And we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But we can't do that if we're living in a state of denial and inauthenticity and not living every moment for him as best we can every day. Uh, If we don't, we're being a fool. And we're wasting our time down here. Um, Not that we have to be praying every moment of the day. We're just living in accordance with God's will for us, being faithful to the duties of our state in life, obeying the commandments, trying to spread the gospel uh, and transmit the faith to others as best we can and be living witnesses, just basically doing God's will in our life. Hmm. Sometimes that's hard. But what confession's for exactly is there anything else about death that's plaguing your mind as we have a plague going on pun intended yeah I just um, think we need confidence we need confidence when we think about these questions confidence uh, that this isn't all there is Um, we need a greater awareness of the reality of our soul. People don't think about it nearly enough. Uh, We really, really need to appropriate, assimilate, let this enter our brain, uh, that uh, there's something in us, every single one of us, that is immaterial, trans-physical, that enables us to bend back and perceive our own existence. It's inexplicable by any, there's no material, physical process that it can explain consciousness, our consciousness, our self-awareness. How can matter become self-aware? We have something no one else has. Why only us? It's not like we're just smarter on a scale. There's, you know, primates have tremendous brain capacity. You know, cerebral cortex as big as ours or whatever, comparable at least. What is it about human beings that makes us so special? It's because we have something they don't. We can teach primates words. There's been primates that have learned signs in sign language. They have kind of like a certain perception of banana Uh, They can point at things and make a sign to individual things. And you can teach them 100 up to 200 of these signs. And it's pretty cool to think they can do that. It's awesome. But what they can't do is think abstractly. They can't make a simple grammatical sentence. They don't understand syntax. They have no consciousness of relationality they can't uh, 
we do it naturally. Um, most of our words are not perceptions, they're conceptions, abstract thoughts. Um, who, what, when, where, how. Uh, to learn something about this, listen to Father Spitzer. And get on the internet and listen to this guy uh, on YouTube talk about the existence of the soul and talk about near-death experience. Uh, this amazing priest who's doing such great work. I believe he's got a doctorate in physics. Uh, anyway, he's really brilliant, written a ton of books, and he's got this show on EWTN called Father Spitzer's Universe, but he talks a lot about the existence of the soul and accruing data of near-death experience, which is heartening because it just validates and confirms much of what we've been saying from the beginning in Judeo-Christianity, at least in Christianity. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, those are really helpful things for us to look at. And I think uh, nowadays we can zap people and stick them with needles and do all kinds of things to bring them back from the brink of death when they're declared dead laying there and we're able to bring them back with our modern medicine in ways that even though there's been near-death experience since the beginning surely but it's happening so frequently and the patterns that emerge from these things are that people leave their bodies and they have memory they have memory of sequential experiences and it's not like this hallucination or dreamlike state that when we wake up, we're like, that was crazy, man. Things happen kind of randomly and not sequentially um, <clears throat> suggested by our subconscious. And these near-death experiences don't act like that. People come back with um, an experience of a reality that surpassed our own reality. That's not a dream. And there's no explanation for it when... They have no gag reflex and there's no electric, electrical activity in their brain and their pupils are, aren't dilating. It's like they're declared dead and yet they come back and there's patterns to these and there's been credible studies that have been done on these, on this growing body of data of those who've had these experiences. So I think that is a real powerful motive of credibility that people see, hear, remember. Even blind people, 80% of them come back from these experiences who were blind from birth, many of them. They have no storehouse of images that they could have dialed up. There's nothing there. They are a blank slate, and yet they come back reporting having seen. Um... I think near-death experience is a, a powerful testimony uh, to the truths of our faith that this we have something in us that is not part of the physical universe and that gives each one of us a dignity and nobility that any single one of us has greater dignity, value, and nobility than the entire physical universe and everything in it. Think about that when you're laying in bed. 
that if God had to choose between any single one of us in the entire physical universe, if we were the only person, we'll leave the angels out of this. That's why I make sure I say physical universe. If we were the only person, personal being with intellect and will that possessed this soul, an immortal soul, we are of more value, dignity, and nobility than the entire physical universe, and God would choose us every single time. That is an awesome thought that we need to think about when we say these things. They just go in one ear and out the other because we've been hearing them all our life. Oh, I'm a creature made in the image and likeness of God. I'm a child of God. We really need to reappropriate them and come back to it in a fresh way and really, really contemplate them until they sink in or soak into us who we are. We don't understand who we are. The awesomeness of who we are and what our eternal destiny is. To lose sight of that is to be a fool. You always give great ending remarks. Really good. So where can people find you? Young is my YouTube channel. Just search my name. Don't write father. Just put fr. Same with Larry Twitter. Young. What? Same with Twitter. Yeah, I think so. Twitter so and Facebook, I guess. But YouTube channel is my main thing. Thanks for listening. This episode was recorded on March 20th, 2020. The Millennial Catholic is produced by Jackie Miller. If you would like to reach the show with questions or topic ideas, you can email us at themillennialcatholicpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe to us on Google and Apple Podcasts. And while you're at Apple Podcasts, you can if you could go ahead and give us a review that'd be great helps people spread helps us spread the word to more people i can speak today i promise and until next time memento mori